there are a whole lot of scoring questions to talk about. It is Sunday, May 22nd. I am E. Spencer Kite. These are the Next Day Takeaways. Welcome back, everybody, to the Next Day Takeaways. want to jump right in to the big, the big topic coming out of Saturday's event at the UFC Apex, and that is scoring and judging and open scoring, a conversation that has been going on for many, many years, a discussion that feels both rightfully nuanced, but also devoid of some of the understanding a lot of the time, in my opinion. So what prompted this and, and what prompts this again, and as I said, it's, it's been going on for a while, but what prompts it more today is that in the main event on Saturday, Ketlin Vieira wins a split decision over Holly Holm, scores a 48-47 across the board. Two judges see it for Ketlin Vieira, one for Holly Holm. And instantly on Twitter, as happens, a lot of people get upset. They feel that Holly Holm was robbed. We do the thing where, you know, somebody posts the MMA decisions scores from all the media, many of which were, I think, 18 of 20 or 16 of 18 were in favor of Holly Holm. Verdict comes out and, and posts their thing about verdict users had it overwhelmingly for Holly Holm. Um, I'll get to them in a minute. And we have a bunch of people that pop up and want to want to talk about open scoring and the need for it to be known for these fighters going into these rounds. And imagine if this person knows that and that person knows this and how's that going to change things. And and for me, it's it's that exhale that you just heard is <laughs> is honestly where it starts. So I'll start with verdict, which is a is a phone app. It's a smartphone app. And while I appreciate their desire and their ability to engage the MMA audience and give them an opportunity to click a button at the end of the round to register a score, as I said yesterday in responding to their, their tweet about the scoring of this fight, this is akin to voting for your favorites on American Idol or The Voice. It means nothing. It's, it's a representation of the popular vote, and that's it. Um, MMA fans, many of them, and they, they prove this time and again if you read through some of the scoring threads and, and some of the complaints on Twitter, know very little about the actual scoring criteria and how fights should be scored, what, what fights are scored on in MMA. And so... Having an overwhelming majority of fans and users of that platform score the fight for Holly Holm means nothing outside of the fact that they thought Holly Holm won, which, great, more power to you for thinking that. You're incorrect, and, you know, it, it's, not, it's not representative of anything. So that we can, we can set aside. And the fact that Verdict even comes out and doesn't express it that way, to me, is a little bit intellectually dishonest and a little bit kind of bankrupt, but we don't need to get into that because it's Sunday morning and I don't need to get that fired up about Verdict MMA and, and how they do things. The second part of this, to me, before we get to open scoring, is that we have moved past the point of accepting that fights are close, and it's ridiculous to me. Every single time there is a close fight now, we want to discuss if one person got robbed. 
or if both people, for for that matter, got screwed by the judges or it should have been, you know, scored differently. And we've just lost sight of the fact that, especially at the highest level, which is the UFC and, and some of these larger promotions, fights are going to be close. They are going to be competitive. They are going to be difficult to score. And that doesn't mean there's a problem. Split decisions don't mean that there's a problem with scoring. And fights being 48-47 doesn't mean there's a problem with scoring. It means it was a close fight. And that the three judges sitting around the octagon in different positions, obstructed by different angles, only available to see certain angles throughout the fight, had a different view on a round. And that's really what this came down to. This came down to one round. This came down to... I believe the third round being scored for Catlin Vieira by by one judge. Everyone else had it the same way. Like that's that's how these things work. Um, and we instantly, the minute there's a close fight, get into this conversation about who got screwed and who didn't. And there's so many different things that go into it that nobody making these arguments seems to want to either divulge or discuss. Because a lot of times when people are complaining about somebody getting robbed, it's because they bet on them or it's because they like them or they picked them. And it's not because they understand the scoring and there was a grand travesty can, that happened inside the octagon. Um, it's, it's just one of those things where we've, we've reached this point where we don't welcome close fights anymore and we don't acknowledge close fights anymore without just instantly going to, this can't happen, it needs to be fixed. Which brings me to open scoring, which has been a thing that is, you know, been, been discussed a lot more prominently, I would say, over probably the last year. And, and for those that don't know, the general gist of open scoring is that at the end of each round, the scores are presented to the athletes themselves, to their corners, so that they know where they're at throughout the fight. And the argument is always, well, stick and ball sports, you always know what the score is, you know where you're at, whatever, whatever, whatever. And that's all well and good. It's true. Yes, of course, basketball, football, hockey, whatever, you know the score. Boxing, you don't. Boxing, you don't. And and look, we have controversial controversial scores in boxing as well. And, and you could argue that maybe boxing needs open score. What I would say to a lot of the open scoring arguments is that it feels like a Band-Aid on a bullet hole. <laughs> um, it feels like one of those things that people think this is the fix when it's not really a fix, it's just a change for change's sake. And what I mean is this. Taking that fight specifically on Saturday night between Catlin Vieira and Holly Holm. If you're Holly Holm, if you're either of those ladies actually, if you're either woman and you don't go into that fifth round understanding that it very likely and most likely even is dead even or at the absolute worst knowing and acknowledging and accepting that it is a freakishly close fight and I'm going to have to go here in this fifth round to try to win this fight, then I think you're doing yourself a disservice. I think your corner 
is instructing you incorrectly. I mean, we saw the fire and passion from Andre Pedernaris in Ketlin Vieira's corner, imploring her to do more, to go out and, and get after it and let go of her hands. And that was from the guy whose who's fighter ended up winning. And so that, to me, is representative of, of how these things should be approached and the way we should be addressing some of this and thinking about some of this. Because, yes, you could go through and tell Holly Holm that she won round one and tell Ketlin Vieira she won round two and then let them know that in round three, one judge scored it for Ketlin Vieira and two judges scored it for Holly Holm and that's where we're at and things like that. But to me, if you don't know after that five minutes and your corner doesn't tell you after that five minutes or each of those five minute increments that this is a super close fight and and you just got to go out there and fight, what what impact is knowing a hundred percent that it's a super close fight gonna gonna have? One of the things that often gets brought up is that if a fighter knows they're down, they're gonna go out there and they're gonna chase chase a finish more and and know that they have to push. But the opposite side of that coin is true as well. What happens if you're someone in the corner and the the scores come back and you feel like you absolutely did enough to win that round and they tell you, nope, it went 10-9 the other way. What happens when that confidence breaks or that focus breaks and the fighter then is just so pissed off about the score that they can't go out and perform the way that they need to? We often hear about, oh, well, if the person's up 2-0 2-0 and they go into the third, they're going to stall. And and people advocate for, well, if that's the case, you can take away points. Well, now we're introducing new things to change the dynamic of a fight, that change the way we, we watch these fights and the way we score these fights and the way these athletes have to conduct themselves in these fights. And it feels like we're doing it just because, A, People, a lot of people don't understand the scoring criteria and how it is applied. And B, a lot of people just don't like there being close fights anymore and just don't like accepting that sometimes split decisions happen because of very valid reasons and very logical reasons. It feels to me like a lot of people want there to be consensus at all times and no questions at all times. And that's just an unrealistic approach to this. It's an unrealistic desire and want given what we have transpiring. I think the interesting thing to me in in looking at even a few of the fights on this card is that there are some instances earlier in the night, the Junyun Park, Eric Anders fight, the Tabitha Ricci, Pollyanna Viana fight, where you can go through and make a case for those scores going either way. I think you can make an argument for Pollyanna Viana winning that fight against Tabitha Ricci. I think anybody that says Eric Anders should have won the fight against Junyun Park, I'm not necessarily arguing with you. I didn't score it that way myself. Such is life. We all kind of see things differently sometimes. And that's where it comes down to, to me, the most important things we can do in these areas, in this conversation, 
is get out and educate ourselves and others to the scoring criteria. As my guy Sean Sheehan says all the time, it is three and a half pages, people. Go read it. Go find it. Track it down. I believe Sean has it pinned at the top of his, his Twitter feed. He also has a wonderful video explaining the criteria, going through it. It's not long to watch and it is very useful if you want to go through it. I think we need to be more honest and understanding of the fact that there are close fights and that judges who are sitting cage side see things differently. And the reason that they are positioned in different points on the cage is because everybody needs to see things at different angles. And that's how this fight is contested. Now, if you want to argue to me that there are better ways to do it and we should have more judges and they should be sequestered in the back and soundproof rooms and all of those things. I'm open to having those conversations. A hundred percent. I think we should always be looking for ways to improve functions and elements of this sport and judging is included in there. But it's not a cure-all. It's not a a one-stop fix. I don't think there actually needs to be this grand overhaul to judging in mixed martial arts. And for all the people that say these judges don't know what they're talking about, these judges are actually quite good on a statistical basis. My friends Scott Fontana and, and Dan Urban at Couchside Judges do a great job tracking these things over the course of the year. I will reach out to them and try to get some of their info from last year that explains and sort of gives you an understanding of where these judges are at in terms of the consensus that they come to and the outlier scores that they have and things like that. Because it's not that much. It's It really isn't. And that's another piece of this. And, and Aaron Bronstetter from TSN said it very well on Sunday morning earlier today. That it feels like people are making a mountain out of a molehill here with the Ketlin Vieira Holly home fight. Because it was prominent and because it was a fight that instantly there was this reaction to. This was just a close fight. It was a very difficult fight to score. To me, I think you can absolutely make cases on both sides of it. And I know that frustrates people, but that's the reality of the situation we have. That's the reality of the scoring criteria we have, is that you can make arguments on either side, and that's how we end up with split decisions. And split decisions aren't the end of the world. They aren't this big disaster where automatically somebody is getting screwed. That's not how this works. And I think we need to state those things more. Because what ends up happening is we get out there and we shout about open scoring. And these people need to know and they have to know. And there's a whole bunch of other parameters and other pieces that come with it that don't get discussed but we've got to tell them the scores just gets pushed. And enough people that are prominent figures, enough loud voices in the sport shout about it that fans then agree and say, well, this absolutely has to happen. And there's not enough going through all the minutiae, going through all the variables, all the implications of open scoring that factor in there. Now, the other thing is, if this is something you really believe, then go and watch Invicta FC every time they hold an event in Kansas. And Shannon Knapp, the head of Invicta, has worked closely with that commission to implement open scoring. Go and track it. 
for the next couple years or go back through the historical data since they started it and see how much of an impact, see what kind of difference it has made in the outcome of these fights. I would argue, I haven't done that work myself, but I would argue you're probably going to be surprised by how little of an impact it has actually had. How few times there have been fighters that turn out they know they're down 2-0 in a close fight and go out and finish, or fighters who know they're up 2-0 in a fight and go out and stall. I think the idea sounds great in our head because we want to know. We want to understand But the actual work of understanding and knowing and having a better sense of how these fights are scored and having a greater understanding of what these judges are looking for in these fights is too much for us to do. We just want them to give us their number and tell us who's winning so we can either be happy or sad, angry or mad or whatever the case may be, rather than going and reading the 3.5 pages, rather than sitting back and actually genuinely watching these fights with the commentary off so that we understand what's happening and try to get ourselves a better understanding of how to score fights and tracking that over time so that we see where we're making mistakes and we see where judges are getting certain scores. We just want the answers. We just want things to be simple and straightforward. And with scoring fights, as much as this is going to piss some people off to hear... It just isn't. It just isn't straightforward. It isn't simple. It is a difficult task to sit there next to the octagon and work around obstructions and try to see everything that lands and then factor in all the stuff that you've been taught in terms of the scoring criteria and come up with that number. There are lots of times where it's easy, right? Lots of fights Really easy, really straightforward. Fighter A clearly won the round. Fighter B clearly won the next one. And away we go. But in these close instances, in these tight fights, it feels like we just want definitive answers and we want consensus. And that is just such a foolish desire. Because this is two human beings, both chasing after the same thing, both pushing for the same thing. And it becomes difficult to score. It becomes difficult to separate things. It's the same reason why a couple couple weeks back in the Carla Esparza Rose Nami Yunus fight, when everybody says, well, if that isn't a 10-10 round, well, judges are told not to have 10-10 rounds. You have to find the differentiating point. And that to me is the the true mark of, of what fans want. It's not that they want greater understanding of how to actually do this they just want simple and straightforward and clarity but the truth is sometimes these fights just aren't clear sometimes the way to score around just isn't clear and that changes for the three men or women sitting around cage side as well because of the views that they have and because of what they see and how they perceive things to happen or how a a shot lands or a fighter reacts to a shot landing there's so much nuance and variability to this that just shouting open scoring and just saying this is the way it should be doesn't get to that i think if if we want to be honest if we want to really have discussions about this the first thing that needs to happen 
is that everybody needs to go and read the 3.5 pages of scoring criteria and fully understand how to score these fights. I would advocate for anybody that is really that passionate and that interested in it to get themselves to a, a judging seminar. I've taken one. I've passed it. John McCarthy Command, shout out. It is the most important thing I've done in my, my MMA career in terms of my understanding of how this all works. And then from there, I think it's it's about having an open mind and an understanding that that close fights happen. Close rounds happen. They happen pretty regularly and they're okay. It's not the end of the world that this was a close fight. And just because you think fighter A should have won instead of fighter B doesn't mean you're right. I'm sure scoring and judging is going to be a thing we talk about more here on the takeaways as we continue to go forward in the year. But for now, I want to go through these actual results and sort of think about, talk about what comes next. So Ketlin Vieira does get the victory. It's now a two-fight winning streak. Consecutive victories over former champions, having beaten Misha Tate back in November. She said after the fight, I am the next title challenger. She said at her media scrum that she is willing to wait for the next championship opportunity. And this is a tricky one. Because in terms of the division, in terms of who is there and the hierarchy and the rankings and things like that. Ketlin Vieira is the number one contender now. Juliana Pena is going to defend her belt against Amanda Nunez at UFC 277 in Dallas at the end of July. The winner of that should potentially, could very well potentially, fight Ketlin Vieira later this year. There might be some arguments made for if Amanda Nunez goes out and, and destroys Juliana Pena to reclaim the belt. We do it a third time. Don't know. What I would say, what I'm interested in, is what's Valentina Shevchenko up to after she fights Tyler Santos next month? Because Valentina Shevchenko has a history with both of the women that are going to be fighting for the championship at UFC 277. She holds a win over Juliana Pena. And if Juliana Pena continues to hold that title, I'd be a whole lot more interested after this fight of seeing her come up and try to win a second title than seeing Ketlin Vieira go in there after a fight where she looked good in stretches, but those stretches weren't enough. As her coach, as I mentioned earlier, Dana Pedernaris, repeatedly implored her in the corner. The problem is, is that I don't know what you do with Ketlin Vieira if it's not a championship fight. And so... I think ultimately because Shevchenko does have options at flyweight because flyweight is great and it's continuing to flourish and continuing to move fighters forward the way you want to see fighters and contenders and potential challengers move forward. I think Catlin Vieira does actually end up getting the next title shot regardless of who wins at the end of July. And that needs to serve as a real reset point for this division. The fact that we've got the division figured out now for the next 7, 8, maybe even 12 months if you want to stick a few months on the end after that that championship fight involving Vieira. This is now the time where the UFC needs to really reboot and see what they can do. The problem is, is that there's not a lot of depth at 35. There's not a lot of particularly interesting names on the come up at 35. It's a lot of entrenched established figures and so it's going to be difficult to get somebody new in there that is of interest that hasn't already fought uh, 
either Pena or Nunez or Vieira or Holm and kind of move past those results to where you feel good about them being a fresh contender. So it's going to be a lot of work for the UFC matchmakers and for the competitors in the division as well to really go out and and make statements and put themselves in a position where previous results maybe don't necessarily matter as much as what I'm doing right now. And so it'll be interesting to see what plays out and and how all of that comes together, both for Vieira and at 35 in general. Co-main event, Michelle Pejera wins a split decision over Santiago Ponzinibbio, another fight where people made very loud declarative statements about couldn't possibly have been this, couldn't possibly have been that. Close fight, good fight, entertaining fight. I scored it for Pejera. I think it is the right decision. I think he is in a spot now having won five straight where he needs that next step up in competition. The win over Ponzinibbio is a very good win. It also showed a little bit of some flaws, a little bit of some some areas for him to continue to work on in terms of conditioning and pacing and things of that nature that we saw kind of rear their head towards the end of the fight. But five straight wins at welterweight is is difficult to come by. I say it all the time. Winning five straight fights in, in any division in the UFC is difficult and, and merits a step forward. We've got a fight coming up at the end of next month between Neil Magny and Shavkat Rachmanov. I think that's an interesting, the winner of that is an interesting potential opponent. I saw Sean Brady thrown out there. I don't like that. He beat a guy that was ranked number six last time out in Michael Chiesa. So I think he's maybe a little bit further ahead. But somebody in that, let's call it 8 through 14 range, where I think Pajara ends up after these rankings reset on Tuesday, makes a lot of sense for the Brazilian. I know people lament the fact that he's not the crazy wild man anymore, but he has become a better fighter for it he is a more successful fighter for it and we saw that on Saturday he dialed it all the way back he reined it all the way in there was no he didn't even try a rolling thunder in this fight because he knew he was in a fight and he goes out and he guts out a very good win over a very game Santiago Ponzinibbio to continue moving forward and I think we get him a step up in competition somebody ranked ahead of him in the welterweight division next time out Middle bout of the main card, Chidi and Jokuwani melts Dushko Todorovic with an elbow late in the first round. I said it going into this fight. I say it again now. There is no reason to slow play Chidi and Jokuwani. This isn't a 25-year-old contender series grad who needs to garner experience and gain cage time and stuff like that. This is a 33-year-old veteran who has fought some very good competition throughout the course of his career. He has now got two consecutive first-round stoppage wins in the UFC. Give this dude a significant step up in competition. Give him a ranked opponent and let's see what we have. Because it's not like Chidi has got 6, 8, 10 years to kind of build and grow and develop and see where he gets to. He's 33. Get him out there with somebody that either moves him forward as a true new arrival kind of dark horse in this division or sets the ceiling for for where he is and kind of figures out where he stands in that division. This was another one of those fights. I mean, to me, this felt like a a step back in competition after he beat Marc-Andre Barrio in his debut in February. 
Barrio has since gone out, earned another win that sort of tells you where he's at. To me, Njokuwani is a guy that you get out there with a Chris Jotko, that you get out there with a Brad Tavares, somebody in that range that is maybe just inside the top 15 or just outside of it, and we figure out where he stands. Because through two fights, he looks terrific. He's proven that he doesn't need to fight these guys anymore. So let's keep working to set where that ceiling is and figure out if this is somebody that can be an intriguing fighter in this division that always needs new names going forward or if this is a guy that we need to back off of. Truthfully, as wild as this may seem to some people, get him in there with a Kelvin Gastelum. Get him in there with somebody in that range and just see what's up. Like, let's just figure it out. We keep recycling these same names and these same familiar faces over and over and over. Why not get a new name in there? Why not get a guy that's got a nice little highlight reel that he's starting to put together between these two fights in the UFC and his win on on Contender Series to go out there and see if he can be a player in this division that needs new names? Give Chidi a chance, man. Women's strawweight fight, Tabitha Ricci, Pollyanna Viana. Ricci wins a unanimous decision. I scored it for Viana. I liked the work she did in the first and second off of her back and in the stand-up portion of the fight, which wasn't very long. I'm always about activity as opposed to position installing. Again, go read the scoring criteria. We can, we can talk about that another day. As far as Ricci in terms of this division, I think we sort of see in this fight and from this fight or her first or two fights at strawweight that for right now, until there is greater skill development, until there is greater advancement, this is kind of where she stands. I said on on the way into this fight that I think she's probably actually better suited to the atomweight division. UFC doesn't have it, so that means you're not fighting in the UFC, which I understand. Bigger platform, bigger money, all of those things. But I don't think there's a, a huge future for Tabitha Ricci in this division right now, given a little bit of the deficit that she's at in terms of size and in terms of her ability to do damage and be successful beyond just controlling opponents on the floor. Main card opener, Jun Park, Eric Anders, split decision. Park gets the win, Anders takes the loss. Again, a close fight, a competitive fight. I thought throughout the fight, Park was landing the better blows. I think if you watch the fight with the commentary off, it changes the way you look at it. It changes the way you see what's happening. I think it's also one of those fights where you have to pay close attention. You can't have a second screen going. You can't be looking at anything else because a lot of the work that Jen Young Park did, in my opinion, came in those very close confines, in those close moments where Anders is coming forward and he's landing counters inside and then circling off. So it looks like he's just backing out of the way. In terms of the division, in terms of where it stands, if you wanted to throw Chidi and Jokuani in there with Jun Young Park because they're on the same timeline, sure, I'd be okay with it. Let's go. Jun Young Park's coming off the loss before this to Gregory Rodriguez, so we sort of get a little bit of an understanding of where everybody fits. But I think Park is more situated to being an all-action fighter in the middle of that division in these opportunities, in these fights, like this one on Saturday against Eric Anders, rather than being somebody that rushes forward and and has a long-term future as a contender in this division. 
where I'm just, again, I'm just not sure what we've got with Njoku Wani, and I want to see it. We haven't seen him beat in the UFC, give him the big step up. Park, we've seen him lose a couple times in the UFC now, so let's just figure out some more entertaining, consistently fun fights for him to have. Not going to go through all the fights on the prelims because some of them are just are just fights, and I don't mean that disparagingly, but I don't know what's next for Joseph Holmes. He called himself the best grappler in the middleweight division. It's an insane comment. Sure. It's a good win over a guy that that is... It's a nice finish over a guy that has no wins in the UFC and was coming off a two-year layoff. So pump the brakes, Joe. The things I do want to talk about, however, Jailton Almeida is a goddamn problem. And if everybody in the light heavyweight division didn't get a little bit scared watching him pick all 200 and probably 75 pounds of Parker Porter up in the air and deposit him on the canvas early in that fight, then I don't know what to tell you, man, because this dude is a for real problem. He gets the first round finish by rear naked choke, more of a neck crank. Um, It's his second straight win in the UFC. It's his second win in the first half of his rookie campaign. He has a very quick double leg. He is a powerhouse of a human being. He understands a bunch of stuff that I think is really important, that I think is going to become more important as we go forward with this sport. He knows when to just beat on someone. He knows when to just unleash a flurry of shots when he's in mount, when he's in half guard, when he's in sort of dominant positions where he can unleash stuff rather than maybe chase a submission because it creates a greater sense of urgency and it brings the referee in for a closer look where if you just land a few more and your guy doesn't respond the right way, you're getting out of there. We saw that on Saturday. It created opportunities for him to finish when that, or to get the choke when that presented. He did. He gets out of there. He is absolutely at the top of the list of of newcomers of the year so far. A guy to definitely pay attention to going forward. Again, 30 years old. Let's just see what he's got. I don't have the rankings in front of me. I don't have the list of, of all of the fighters in the light heavyweight division in front of me. But let's get him somebody that's got a little bit of clout. Let's get him somebody that's got a little bit of experience. And see what he has. Because this might be another guy kind of in that Njokuani mold. Coming off the Contender Series last year. That can be an immediate player in this division that always needs new names. Drop down to lightweight, Urosh Medic gets a second round stoppage win over Omar Morales. I am not gonna lie, this one felt good to me having been on the Medic train, coming off of Contender Series, coming off of his debut win over Elon Cruz, and then his loss to Jalen Turner. This was the guy I was expecting to see against Jalen Turner. Somebody who uses his length and his range very well. Someone who has power in his hands and in his kicks and is able to go out there and put pressure on a fighter while still being a little bit out of range and a little bit out of danger. The thing with the fight with Turner that that really kind of exposed a little bit of problems is that Turner is the bigger guy, right? Turner is the longer, stronger, more powerful dude and made Medic pay for it. He's not going to encounter that very often. He didn't encounter that on Saturday. And he gets out of there with a second round stoppage win over Morales, who comes back up to lightweight. I still think Medic is a guy to keep an eye on. This was his ninth fight or his 10th fight in his in his MMA career. He's 27, 28 years old. 
Give him some time. Let him continue to progress. Let him continue to gain experience in the octagon, to gain time on the mats at King's MMA with Master Rafael Cordero and the crew that is there. And I think he is somebody that can develop at the absolute worst into an entertaining kind of consistent action guy in the lightweight division, if not a little bit more. If he became kind of the a, a next generation Drew Dober, that wouldn't surprise me. And I would take that because Drew Dober is hella fun and I can't wait to see his next fight as well. Bantamweight, Jonathan Martinez beat Vince Morales. Unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board. It's a good win for Dragon Man, and, and he's another one of these guys at Bantamweight. I say it every week. This division is so deep. It is so talented. He's won seven of his last nine, I believe, in the UFC. One of those is a janky split decision loss to Andre Ewell, so he should be 8-1 and one in his last nine UFC opponent appearances, excuse me, where the one is a loss to Davy Grant, who proved has continued to prove himself to be the guy kind of just outside the top 15 that you've got to beat to to get moving forward, as we've seen over his last three fights with Marlon Vera, Adrian Yanez, and then the fight he won last weekend against Luis Smolka. Get Martinez a, a fight in that Davy Grant range. That's where he deserves to be. Get him in there against somebody that is a little bit older, a little bit more experienced, and dangerous, and can push him, and, and has to push him. My takeaway with Martinez is you kind of know very early on in a fight what version of Jonathan Martinez you're getting. Because when he's confident and when he's the aggressor, he's a very different fighter than when he's letting the fight come to him. And Saturday night, he took the fight to Vince Morales from the jump, attacked the lead leg, beat the hell out of that lead leg, and then just continued to work him over. Morales did a good job of being defensive and kind of covering up some spots and not putting himself in a position to get finished. Martinez, understandably, doesn't, doesn't chase it in a reckless way and just takes the 30-27 victory on the scorecards. Which brings us to Chase Hooper and Felipe Kolarish. The dream goes out, gets a third-round stoppage win by TKO. So, a couple of things here. One, it's a good victory for the kid. He's 22 years old. He's now... One fight to the good in the UFC. Three and two in his five, first five fights in the UFC. The takeaways for me, especially from this fight. Chase Hooper is, is already a bit of a problem because of his size and dexterity and flexibility. We saw that in this fight. He's able to wriggle his way out of positions that other fighters can't. He's able to attack from spots that other fighters can't just because he is long and wiry and flexible, and can manipulate his limbs in ways that a lot of other people can't. The flip side of that, or another piece of that, is that so help me God if this kid ever figures out to just be patient, and just secure position, and make sure you have stuff before you start chasing it, he's going to be a world of problems, because he gets into a lot of positive positions, and a lot of advantageous spots where he can attack and what ended up happening in this fight and in several other fights of his is that he attacks so quickly that he he doesn't quite set things up and get himself to a position where it can actually be finished and his opponents are able to get themselves free that's just an experience thing that's just a coaching and drilling and and practice thing and it's also a strength thing it's also just a grown-up thing so as he continues to get bigger and grow into his frame 
and learn how to sink his hips a little more and learn how to use shoulder pressure and weight to get a guy to a position where he can actually complete one of the myriad chokes that he's chasing or actually get somebody to coax them into giving up their back rather than having to chase those back takes or chase those chokes that aren't necessarily going to be there. He's going to be dangerous because he is very good on the ground. He All of those things that he has that I said earlier are positives are going to continue to stick with him. We're seeing improvements in the striking. He's doing the right things by going to South Carolina and training with Stephen Thompson and the wrestlers that they bring in to pitch black for, for their work down there. He's got a very good jujitsu background. He a legitimate black belt. He's he knows what he's doing. We saw that. And so I think Chase Hooper is one of those guys that we need to just continue to let him grow. We've seen this and and I saw some comparisons early in fight week talking about these other athletes that started very young and eventually emerged and I think I wrote about them myself over the course of the week. Right, Max Holloway started super young in the UFC and had some moments where you were like, ah, what's this guy going to grow into? And he figured some stuff out. He dialed back some of the wildness. He dialed back some of the spinning and flying attacks and really just focused on his strength. Charles Oliveira was another name that got presented in that same way. Same kind of thing. Got rid of a little bit of the wild and just kind of filtered it down and, and tapered everything down to the best elements of his game. Both of them went on to win UFC gold. I don't know that Chase Hooper necessarily does. But I think we're actually three, four, five years away from, from really being able to even entertain that conversation. Let's let him continue to grow, continue to develop, continue to get out there and, and learn from these experiences and see where he gets to. Because I do think there is, at the very least, he's already a super entertaining fighter. And so let's just see if he can become a super entertaining fighter that's also a contender somewhere down the line. Event kicks off with Sam Hughes getting her second straight win since moving down to Dallas and training with the crew at Fortis MMA. Third round TKO stoppage over Elise Reed. This was a dominant performance from Sam Hughes, who is someone I've been high on from the jump. I got to talk to her early in, early in her career. I think the... Experience she has as a D1 track athlete is something that for me has always stood out as a reason that I think she can be competitive and have success. If you know me, you know the respect I have for Safe Saud and the crew at, at Fortis. And so I think that move is great. I said after her first fight there, which was the Estela Nunez fight last month, that this is going to be a good thing. Let's see how she continues to develop. This was the best Sam Hughes has looked by far. And there's still room for her to grow. She was decisive. She was confident. She took this fight where she wanted to take it from the outset. And a lot of that is coaching. A lot of that is just drilling and instilling confidence in your athlete that they can do the things that they want to do. Through those first three fights in her UFC career, she just didn't have that peace. She just didn't have that direction and that confidence to go out there and just wrestle go out there and just be the better athlete be the person that is stronger that is able to wrestle someone to the ground and keep them there and we saw that on saturday an absolutely terrific win for sam page who just 
you know, a, a good name to keep an eye on. Again, somebody that's had 10 fights in her career or nine fights in her career. Give her a little bit of time. Let her continue to work with Safe and the crew. Charles Bird, the whole group down there. She shouted out Jin Yu Fry. I think that's a great room for her to be in. A great team to be around. And there is room for her to grow. And, and we'll see where it gets to. No event next Saturday to preview. We get the one week off before going into, I think it's 12 or 13 consecutive weeks of events. So we will continue to be here most Sundays. Probably be one or two where where I've got enough going on that I, I don't jump on the mic. But next week I'm going to try to do actually probably a few more podcasts as opposed to written stuff. Just because these are a little bit easier, a little less time consuming. So if there's anything you want to hear me talk about, if there's anyone you want to you want me to try to bring on from the media or in terms of fighters. Maybe I'll reach out to a couple people and see what we can do. But before I get out of here, as always, just to thank you for paying attention. Thank you for reading. Thank you for subscribing, for listening, for engaging on Twitter, for interacting, for loving the fights, for supporting the fights, for supporting me. Be good to one another. Take care of yourselves. Know that you are loved. And enjoy a weekend off. Enjoy, enjoy the final weekend of May with your family, with your friends, with the outdoors, doing whatever you like to do on a Saturday outside of watching fights. We'll see you in a couple of weeks.